Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning, good morning, and uh, welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, I am Pastor Chris. Uh, welcome those of you uh, who are here in person joining us, uh, especially our guests. Thank you for coming today. And uh, for those of you watching online, tuning in, as always, thank you for tuning in and engaging with us and being a part of our service. So it's beginning to look a lot like what? Christmas around here. Wow, that's right. Are you ready? Are you excited? How many of you, raise your hand if you've actually completed all of your Christmas shopping, all the presents, you're done. Anybody? Okay, you're not welcome. You can leave. No, because this is, this is a church for whack jobs, and you're, you're way ahead of the game uh, if you've already done all that. No, that's awesome. So, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus in this Christmas season, uh, today we are launching into this annual message series that we do here at Coastal, simply called... Christmas at Coastal. Pretty creative, right? Yeah. I mean, it's Christmas. You're at Coastal. Pretty self-explanatory. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Chris, you're calling it Christmas at Coastal because that means you basically can preach whatever you want to preach and go in whatever direction you want to go in. Well, there might be some truth to that, but actually, what we try to do uh, each year with this series is to look at, you know, the story of Christmas, a story that many of you are very, very familiar with. Uh, you have literally heard hundreds of times. And so we try to come at it, you know, maybe from a little bit, you know, a little different angle, a little different perspective, and hopefully enable you to see it anew, afresh, with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. And so this year what we've decided to do is we want you to experience the wonder and the joy of the birth of Jesus through the wise men, okay, the magi and the gifts the very specific gifts that they brought to Jesus. That's what we're gonna be looking at in this series. So if you have your Bibles with you, you version, your Bible app on the screen, in your outline, follow along as I read Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come through you, from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him... Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. 
After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. How many of you have a nativity scene that's a part of your uh, you know, Christmas decorations? Yeah, either on your lawn, underneath your tree, on your mantle. My family, we have, um, I don't know if anybody remembers Precious Moments, you know, back in the 80s, I guess. We have a little Precious Moments manger scene. And in, in almost every manger scene that you've seen or that you have, the wise men are right there, aren't they? They're right there, kind of, a, you know, and we kind of assume that they were there at the night Jesus was born with the shepherds and the angels. But according to the Bible, it did not happen that way. The wise men arrived later. In fact, Matthew uses a word here specifically in Greek that means house, not stable. He also used the word child instead of newborn. And then if you were to read ahead and take into account uh, verse 16 of chapter two, where Herod you know, does something uh, just horrific, uh, most scholars believe that Jesus was probably somewhere between like 12 and 24 months old when the wise men visited him. Uh, now, we call them wise men, but I read where one woman suggested that it would have been much, much better if God had sent a wise woman, wise women, instead of men, because the women would have asked for directions a whole lot sooner, right? Would have helped Mary deliver the baby, probably would have even cleaned up the stable a little bit, and brought very practical gifts like pampers and baby wipes and, and formula. But it didn't happen that way, did it? Now. Before we jump into talking about the very specific gifts that these wise men brought to Jesus, I want to talk a little bit more about who they actually were. And uh, one of the big lessons that we can learn from their experience, and you'll hear us kind of come back to this week after week, and here it is. A diligent search for God always leads to Jesus. A diligent search for God always leads to Jesus. And maybe some of you are here today and you would consider yourselves to be seekers. And I would just say that you're in the right place. This is a great place for you. And God's love for you is big enough to handle your doubt, to handle your questions. And we welcome them here at Coastal. So let's talk about the wise men for, for a moment, though. Who were they? Uh, some translations, uh, depending on what you read, uh, use the term magi. Uh, our word magistrate comes from that particular Greek word. And the term generally referred to highly educated scholars who had been trained in things like medicine, history, religion, prophecy, astronomy. Now, quick Bible trivia question for you today. How many wise men were there? How many wise men were there? Now, most people assume there were how many? Three, because they gave these, you know, three different gifts, you know, to Jesus. And then we sing that song, we 
what? Three kings, right? But the reality is we don't know how many there were. The Bible literally doesn't say. Now, we can be fairly certain there were more than three. And these were highly influential men that often served as advisors to kings. Now, they were not kings themselves, but it wouldn't be a stretch to call them king makers. Now, they were from the region east of Israel, located uh, where we would call modern-day Iran, Iraq. They'd been traveling for a long time, following the strange star in the western sky. Uh, some astronomers have come up with a theory that during this time, several planets came into alignment uh, in relationship to the earth, and, and that that would have in turn created what appeared to be an extremely bright star. Others have suggested uh, maybe it was a comet or a supernova. But all those theories fail to take into account the key point the Bible makes, that this star, whatever it was, moved and that it eventually stopped right over the house where Jesus was staying. I happen to believe, quite simply, it was a miracle, and that it was a customized supernatural light orchestrated by God himself. But this is important. They weren't just there because of the star. You know, if you look back at verse two, they asked Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, it's important to keep that in mind. They were looking for a king. And that, that does have something to do with the gifts that they brought. And we'll be talking about those uh, today and in the weeks ahead. But my question is, how could they have possibly known about a king being born to the Jews? I mean, have you ever wondered about that? I mean, I get the star, right? Because they could physically see that. But how would they have known about a king being born? Well, it becomes obvious, and I'm convinced, that they had read the ancient writings of Daniel. You see, almost 600 years earlier, Daniel had been deported as a teenager to Babylon when Jerusalem was conquered. Now, he did more than just survive a lion's den. He became a very influential leader in the kingdom. And Daniel wrote his prophecies about 500 years before Jesus was born. In fact, in chapter 9 of Daniel, he predicted that from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the birth, life, and death of Jesus, the Messiah, that exactly 483 years would elapse. So these magi knew exactly when Cyrus uh, gave the decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, and so they added 483 years, and that's when they knew that they would be looking for a king at that particular time. So they knew in general when, they just didn't know where. And so that's why they stopped by Jerusalem to ask where. Now, hang with me for just a moment. I find it very interesting that, you know, the words, where is the Messiah? Now you think about that, as far as the Gospels go, the New Testament, you know, these are the first recorded words spoken by a human being in the entire New Testament, right? You know, Matthew, right in the first chapter of Matthew, only an angel speaks, the angel Gabriel. Now, what do you think was the first question found in the Old Testament? In Genesis 3-9, God asked Adam, where are you? Isn't the Bible amazing? 
I mean, it just never ceases to amaze me. I mean, in one sense, the Bible is comprised of 66 different books written over a period of 1,500 years by different people, all inspired by God. But in reality, the Bible is this complete unit with this single dominating theme, this this overriding plot that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It is utterly amazing. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to kind of announce this. I put this in my Friday Five this past week that, that together as a church, we're gonna be reading through the Bible in 2022. And uh, for those of you who are interested, like to join with us uh, today on the back of your Connect card, you literally can just check the box. I will read through the Bible with my coastal family in 2022. And we're going to be following along the, uh, the one-year Bible plan. Now, we're actually going to be providing a limited number of the actual physical books, the Bible, the one-year Bible. Uh, In fact, today I think there's about 20 or so uh, that are back there on the kiosk right as you exit uh, the auditorium. We're we're selling them for 10 bucks. We're losing money on them, okay? We just want to get them into your hands. We'll have some more probably next week. But it'd be really easy just to follow along with the uh, YouVersion Bible app. The the, uh, one-year Bible plan, uh, it's a, a section of the Old Testament, the New Testament, a psalm and a proverb, and it begins January first. We'd love for you to go through it with us. Now, if you're already in a Bible plan, man, keep doing what you're doing. Keep reading what you're reading. But we're excited. We've done this, you know, over the years, you know, multiple times, and this is the year we're going to do it together again. So I'd love for you to join us. But let's go back to this, this idea, this, this overall message, okay, of the Bible. So the entire message of the Old Testament really can be summarized in the question, God asked sinful man, where are you? Where are you? Now, just like Adam, we would all have to admit, Lord, we're in hiding. We are. We have failed to, you know, to live up to your standard. In fact, that's why, if you've ever wondered why you know, the Old Testament, why the law, why all these commandments, they were written so that we would be aware of our sinfulness and, and our need for a Savior. Now, compare that to the message of the New Testament. Instead of a holy God asking sinful man, where are you? Man now is asking, God, where are you? And he answers that question in a very specific way. He's very clear. He says, I took on human flesh and I came into the world as an infant at Christmas in Bethlehem of Judea. I was born so that I might die, so that I might pay for your sin, so that you might come to know me and we might have a relationship. Now, this is what I want you to see today. Not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 years. You see, people are still searching for God. People are still asking, God, where are you? And I think it comes out today in questions like, God, where were you when my parents got cancer? God, where were you when my friend died of COVID? God, where were you at 9-11? Where were you in the, in the midst of my hurt and my pain? Now, the most important question of all is the same question the wise men asked and the same question you and I today must also ask and answer. Where is the king, the Messiah? Where is he? 
Deuteronomy 4.29 says it this way, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen to me very carefully. If you will honestly seek God, if you will sincerely and honestly seek him, not only will you find him, the Bible says, but you will always be led straight to Jesus. You will always be led to Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one, one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'm not the mediator. Some priest is not the mediator. The Pope is not the mediator. It is Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, in fact, says this. The Son, Jesus, he is the radiance of God's glory. And listen to this. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Magi searched for a king, and they found Jesus. And so will you. So will you. Now, one of the most enjoyable things about Christmas, of course, is the gift giving, right? Giving gifts to those that we love. And this idea of giving gifts is probably the one thing for which the magi, the wise men, are most remembered for. Go back to verse 11, it says, Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, the, the tradition of giving gifts at Christmas, it didn't originate with Santa Claus. It started with the wise men, the magi. Now gold, we're all familiar with, right? It's one of the rarest, most expensive metals. You know, it represents the, the wealth and the power of a king, and it always has. But frankincense and myrrh, you're probably not as familiar with. In fact, I would be willing to guess you had never heard of them until you heard this story. So at some point growing up or at church, I mean, you, you never heard of myrrh or frankincense, but what are they? So we're gonna talk more about them in the coming weeks, but just know that they were both uh, gum resins from bush-like trees. They're, they're, uh, they're tapped in the summer so that the resin would slowly begin to ooze out and then it would be collected in the fall. And these raw products would be shipped over various land and sea routes and, and uh, all the extra work and all the difficulty would drive the cost way, way up and make them both very, very expensive. Uh, every year there's a, a, a lady from our church. Uh, she lives part of the uh, year in Maine and uh, she, she brings me every year around Christmas time a jar. I should have brought it with me this morning, but she just brought it to me last week. Liquid gold is what I caught. And it's from a, a tree that's been tapped in Maine for like over 200 years. And uh, I will be eating that whole jar of maple syrup. So anyway, um, but uh, frankincense was used in the temple worship of God. So it, it's come to represent Jesus' Jesus's deity that he's God in, in, in the flesh. And myrrh, on the other hand, was highly prized in making uh, perfumes and ointments. Um, it had medical purposes, and it was very distinct that it was also used in the burial of bodies. In fact, in John, uh, it tells us that after Jesus died, his body was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of myrrh and other spices. So the gift of myrrh would have pictured his suffering, and his death. 
So again, I want you to write all of this down because this is, again, kind of where we're headed over the next several weeks. Gold pointed to his majesty. Jesus is king. Gold pointed to his majesty. Jesus is the king. Frankincense pointed to his deity. Jesus is God. It pointed to his deity. Jesus is God. Myrrh pointed to his humanity. He was destined to suffer and die. So we have his majesty, his deity, and his humanity. And we're going to be talking about those things in the weeks ahead. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the magi, the wise men, understood all of that? I don't think so. I mean, we really don't know, but I doubt it. But what I do love is that I love that we can see God's handprint in all of these small details. So in the time that I have left today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to talk about this is the significance of the gift of gold. Now again, all throughout history, um, the, the, because of its scarcity and its value, this has always been known as a gift fit for a king. But what I want you to see today as we kick off this series is that Jesus doesn't fit the mold. He is a king like no other. A king like no other. In other words, he's not just another person who was born on earth and lived and then died. He's not some earthly leader of a religious movement. No. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is, the Bible says, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, what does that mean? King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, twice in the book of Revelation, Jesus is given that title. It means that Jesus is the supreme authority over all the kingdoms of this world. The entire cosmos are in the hands of King Jesus. It means that in the end, all other rulers... All other authorities will be conquered or abolished, and he alone one day will reign as the supreme king and lord over all. There is no power, no king, no lord that will oppose him and win. He is a king like no other. Now, the Jewish people were expecting a king to be born. Again, that's what the Magi said. Where is this king who has been born? They were expecting it, but the problem, though, is they weren't expecting a king like this. They were expecting their, their king to be born, you know, in a palace, surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort, and, and this is important, to eventually set them free from Roman oppression. I mean, no one expected this king to be born in poverty, in a cave next to farm animals. They didn't expect the Savior, the Messiah, to be the son of a carpenter raised in Nazareth. I mean, the Bible says, what good can come from Nazareth? No one predicted that the king of glory, the son of God, would befriend prostitutes, touch lepers, and love those people that the religious people, the religious institutions of that day rejected. They never imagined a king who would choose people like uneducated fishermen, despised tax collectors, and rebellious troublemakers to be his closest followers. 
No one ever imagined that a king would forgive a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery when the law of that day said she should be stoned. They never imagined that the king of the Jews would ride into Jerusalem one day on a donkey. And then those who were there cheering for his arrival would be the outcasts, the overlooked, and the immoral. No one expected a king then to stand trial for crimes that he did not commit. No one would have ever imagined that an innocent king would be beaten, whipped, scourged, stripped naked to hang on an instrument of torture known as a cross, dying a criminal's death he did not deserve. No one would have ever imagined that this king would be hanging on a cross as the people he created mocked him and spit at him. And no one have ever imagined that this king, while he was there suffering, would look up to heaven and pray for their forgiveness, for their mercy. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And when he breathed his last breath, there was no one that day predicting that the sky would go dark, that the earth would tremble, while the world would lose hope, as they simply thought they had buried a dead king in a borrowed tomb. And then no one, no one would have expected that three days later, when friends of his, women, would come back to check on that tomb, that the huge stone that the authorities rolled in front of that grave, that borrowed tomb, and sealed it up. And then the Roman guards, the Roman soldiers who were put there, left to guard a dead man. No one would have expected that they would have all fainted like dead men themselves. Because Jesus was not there. The King of kings and the Lord of lords had risen from the dead, just like he said he would. It has been written and recorded in human history. It was witnessed by literally hundreds of people, and people gave their very lives for that truth. That's why he was born at Christmas, so that he might defeat sin and death and the grave. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Philippians 2 that because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, listen to this, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord that he is the Lord, that he is the king to the glory of God the Father, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now what's interesting to me is that when you look at that whole story of the first century, you see, you see three very distinct responses to Jesus as king. And oddly enough, here we are, the year 2021, over 2,000 years later, and you still see the exact same three very distinct responses to Jesus as king. In fact, here's what I believe. 
If you're willing to be honest with yourself, you might find yourself today in the middle of one of these same three responses, very distinct, very common responses to Jesus as king. Here they are. The first one is represented by King Herod himself. You see, he opposed Jesus as king. He opposed him. I mean, you read the whole story, you read them in the Gospels, you know, he, uh, he wanted to guard and protect, you know, his authority, his, his kingship. You know, so what does he do? He issues a decree that all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem would be put to death because he was threatened by Jesus. He was threatened by him. Now, I don't know exactly who this might be today, but I really believe that there are those here today, maybe some of you here in person, maybe somebody watching online, someone who's gonna hear this, who would say, you know what? I don't need Jesus. In fact, I don't want anything to do with him. Because it's my life, and I'm gonna live it my way, and I'm fine on my own, and nobody tells me what to do. I'm the king of my life. I'm the Lord of my life. You see, you're opposed to Jesus as king. Because in some way, shape, or form, you've been living your life as though you think Jesus threatens your way of life. He's a threat to the way you do your family. He's a threat to your finances. He's a threat to you know, the way you choose to do life, your relationships, the way you choose to live. You're opposed to Jesus. There's a second response. And I think this is extremely common today as well. It's represented by the Jewish priests. They dismissed Jesus as king. They dismissed him. I mean, they did. They, I mean, truthfully, they just, they just kind of blew him off. I mean, come on. They, they knew the stories, right? I mean, if anybody did, they did. They, they even knew the Bible verses that prophesied his coming. I mean, they knew where he was gonna be born, and yet they were nowhere to be found. I mean, you think about that. They were just a few miles away from where Jesus was born. But they just blew it off. Now, I think the same thing happens today all the time. Because guess what? There's an awful lot of you today that are very familiar with the stories, right? You are. I mean, you even know some of the Bible verses. You, you periodically attend a church. But the reality of your life is that for all practical purposes, Jesus really has no real impact on your daily life. Now, Jesus might be a king, but he's not your king. You just kind of dismiss him. He's not the king of your schedule. He's not the king of your relationships. He's not the king of your family, your business. You know, the very thing that Jesus died for to institute the church, you, you could take or leave. You dismiss him. There are those who oppose him. There are those who dismiss him. But there, in, there is a third response. And it is represented in these wise men, these magi. You see, they bowed down and worshiped Jesus as king. They bowed down and worshiped him. 
The ultimate response to show reverence and awe and honor to the God of heaven who became one of us in the person of Jesus is to admit who you are in comparison to God. It is to humbly bow your knee before him and worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'm curious. And I just ask this as sincerely as I know how. What's your personal response to Jesus? What has it been? Have you opposed him? Because he threatens your way of life? Have you dismissed him, blown him off? Because he really has no effect on your daily life? Or at some point, have you personally, not your parents, not your spouse, have you humbly bowed down before him and recognized him to be who he claimed to be? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The King and the Lord of every area of your life. Let me tell you a little bit more about my King Jesus. You see, King Jesus is not some distant, angry, uninvolved judge waiting for you to mess up. He is not the, he's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. And he is definitely not the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Okay? He is the righteous king of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the king of glory, the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. My king Jesus, he heals the sick. He opens the blind eye. He heals the deaf ear. He strengthens the weak. He sets the captive free. He restores those who are broken and hurting. He is a shelter in your time of trouble. He is a light when your world is dark. At the sound of his name, darkness trembles. Demons run for cover. Satan could not stop him. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him. He is the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first of all. He is the resurrection light. No one, the Bible says, will come to the Father except through him. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. His grace is irresistible. And he loves you. He loves you with an unfathomable love. You, he sees you today in your seat. This is what Christmas was all about. Jesus came on on a rescue mission for you, for you. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a king like no other. And the Bible simply says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will openly declare that Jesus is what? Lord. That he is king. And you believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead. You will be saved. It blows my mind that people celebrate Christmas year after year after year with no intention of ever receiving the greatest gift of Christmas that God gave the world in his son Jesus. You see, you can't really celebrate Christmas 
unless you're in harmony with, unless you come to peace with the one whose birth we actually celebrate. How? How do you do that? By acknowledging in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That he's your Lord and your King. You can do that today. Many of you maybe have already made that decision. But over time, maybe you have taken Jesus off the throne of your life and you put something else there. Maybe it's just you. Or maybe God wants to use you today as a shining star, a guiding light in somebody else's universe so that you might point them to the Savior. Who are you going to invite and bring to a church like Coastal where they're going to hear the good news about Jesus? Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this season that we set aside to remember and to celebrate this great rescue mission. And Father, I thank you that it still rings true that wise people seek Jesus. And when they seek him with all their heart, they find him. And maybe you're here today and you have heard the good news of the gospel that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to forgive you, not, not harm you, not hurt you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And if you'll just humbly bow the knee today and declare that Jesus is Lord, that he is your Lord and your King, you will be saved. Just pray something like that today, right now in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I do believe. I, I, I admit it, God, I, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe today that one has been provided at Christmas. His name is Jesus. He, he grew, he lived, he lived a perfect life so that he might be that sacrifice for my sin. He went to that cross for me. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And today I ask King Jesus to be my King and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.